Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello, folks. This is Chris, and welcome to the Run, Run, Live podcast. So, unfortunately, I was not able to find the time to interview and podcast this week. So, I don't know about you folks, but I've had a crazy couple of weeks. Actually, it's been pretty crazy since before the holidays for me. I don't know. Just this whole working from home thing. Um, and I won't bore you with the details, but my job has been super time-consuming. For some reason, I've got calls starting in the morning every day and then going into the evenings. And you know, you know the morning time is my writing time. So we're going to do something a little different today. Instead of having the, the full-on structured show, we're going to treat this like a race report. And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories, and uh, we'll take it from there, all right? You and I, we've been friends long enough to be able to, uh, you know, dial it back a little bit, right? So, anyhow, here we are, middle of February, cold as heck, about a foot and a half of snow on the trails, really hard to get out. I did a, I did a run this week, <laughs> I tried to do a tempo run in the middle of a snowstorm out on the roads. It was pretty yucky. Then I did another tempo run in the trails, in the snow which uh, it's a lot of legwork because it's like running on the beach when all the snow's down. And Ollie, Ollie and I get out today. It's gotten to the point now where it's packed down by the snowshoers uh, well enough because there's so many people in the woods that it's like running on the road. So I actually knocked out seven and a half miles in you know, a decent pace. We were only breaking trail on a couple of sections. So, But I'll tell you a story. So I wrapped up my week of training last week with a stellar... 30k long run and we're gonna we're gonna treat that as the race that we're gonna do our race report on and i did this out on the roads and the reason i did it on the road is we got we like i said we've got more than a foot foot and a half of snow and it's been cold but it's it's packed down well but it's still too soft to do one of these multi-hour long runs in which bothered me a little bit i don't i don't have a treadmill in the house and i don't have access to a treadmill right now so I was worried about switching, you know, I've been doing all my runs in the trails, switching back to the road, you know, abruptly like that for a, for a three hour run, a three hour run. So if you're old enough, you'll get that joke. 
you know, I went out in the roads and did this 30K, and it worked out okay. I picked up a little plantar fasciitis, but for the most part, it was a really great run. So let me tell you this story. So I set out from my house in the direction of the rail trail the next town over, and the next town over is called Westford, or in the vernacular, it would be Westford. (laughs) And I figured if the snow was going to be packed down anywhere and passable anywhere, it was going to be out in the rail trail because it's very heavily used. So I I can get to the midpoint of this rail trail at about 10K from my house. So I headed out in that direction. Nice and slow, sunny day, no wind, pretty cold, like eh, high teens, low 20s. Did my errands in the morning and waited for it to warm up a bit. And the roads were dry, but the snow was pretty deep, so it's in some places the shoulder gets a bit skinny. Uh, you got to pay attention with the traffic. So I wanted to avoid too much hill work and avoid the busy roads, stay on the back road. So that's that's one of my flattish roads. I do an out and back in that direction. So I wore my vest with the my Aonji vest with the two 500 milliliter mammary bottles. Yes, I said mammary bottles. That's the only way I can describe the way they sit in this vest. And I wore that under my outer layer, my Asics uh, running jacket, because, you know, high teens, low 20s, takes about an hour for that just to freeze solid. You won't be able to get any water, right? So after the previous week's adventure where I had the spoiled gel that I tried to eat at halfway and it almost made me sick. I decided to go full-on ultra-fueling and keep it simple. And I made myself a nice organic peanut butter and honey sandwich on Dave's 21-grain bread, cut it up into three-by-three chunks, so uh, nine bite-sized pieces of sandwich, and threw that into a plastic bag and stuffed it into a pocket. There you go. Keep it simple. So when I got to the rail trail, it was impassable. There was like one skinny, one person had been walking in the snow. So that wasn't going to happen. So I stopped there about an hour in, 10K in, started to eat my sandwich. You know, eat a couple pieces of sandwich, take a drink, figure out what to do next. And as I was standing there, I was standing on the sidewalk next to the road, basically having this stand-up picnic. Cars kept stopping and trying to wave me across. And I was like, no, I'm not crossing. So finally, I had to scooch back into a driveway to stay out of their line of sight so they'd stop randomly stopping for me. Oh, that's a Massachusetts thing. They like to stop, let you cross the road. Other than that, they're they're nightmare drivers. But when it comes to courtesy, they're very courteous with pedestrians and bicyclers and runners. So I figured, yeah, I'm an hour in. I feel pretty good. I'll just keep going east and see where I end up. Follow the back roads. Because I vaguely knew where I was. I mean six miles from my house, so I'm not going to get in any trouble. And I headed out through the back roads of Westford and east into Carlisle. Carlisle is the next little town over. Uh, That's where Babe Ruth lived. He had a farm in Carlisle when he played for the Red Sox. There you go. The curse of the Bambino. So eventually, I came to a main road. It dead-ended right on a main road. I'm like, okay, I don't know where I am. I don't know what road this is. So I only needed a 15 or 20 minutes more before I turned around. I said, ah, I'll mentally flip a coin and yeah, let's go right. I'm glad I did because a couple hundred feet, I came upon Great Brook State Park. And this is a good-sized park 
in Carlisle that I am familiar with, having mountain biked in there a bunch of times, I learned something. I learned that I'm about a little less than nine miles crow fly away from the Great Brook State Park if I take the back roads, which is cool. I know that now, so I can ride my mountain bike over there. So with the snow, they had opened up the park as like a snowshoe and cross-country ski venue, and the place was packed. Parking lot full of cars, people everywhere. And on the east side of the road, they were selling tickets to get in and do cross-country skiing. So I asked if I could go into the trails on the west side of the road where people were snowshoeing, and they said, yeah, sure. So I, I went out in the trails because the trails from the snowshoers were packed down. Perfect. It was like a sidewalk, right? So you get a foot and a half of snow. People walk on it with the snowshoes, and it packs it down to about three or four inches of really packed snow. It's still soft, but it's packed, so you can run on it. So the trails were packed down and perfect for running, and it was beautiful in this park. Sun was high. Families were out. Just a beautiful day, and I just ripped around in the woods for a few few minutes, maybe, you know, maybe a three-quarters of a mile. And I popped back out on the road and headed back home after, you know, eating some more sandwich and taking a drink. Really, really beautiful day. So on my way out, I had noticed when I was running out towards the park, I had noticed that it was apparently trash day in Carlisle because all of the trash cans were out at the end of the driveways. So I began to play the beer can game that I like to play on the way back. And the way this this works, of course, is that you pick up a beer can that some a-hole has tossed out the car window, and you drop it in the next trash can, right? Makes me feel good about myself. A good, positive attitude, good citizen, picking up beer cans, dropping them in the trash can. I'm feeling pretty good now. Running well, playing the beer can game. Not running fast, but running well. No no crash, good energy. And then I, I cross back into Westford, back where the, the rail trail is. And as I was coming back through Westford, I got a little cocky. I saw a brown paper bag in the snowbank, and I figured, heh, I'll pick it up and throw it out. And it turned out to be an empty fifth of vodka which a fifth for you non-American is bigger than a quart, but less than a half gallon, I think, is a fifth, which is a good-sized bottle. And it was a glass bottle, too. So I'm like, all right, I'll drop this in the next trash can. That's a big win, right? And then I see a Bud Light Tallboy, 16-ouncer, so I grab that, too. I got that in the other hand. So I'm running down the road, carrying an empty vodka bottle in a brown paper bag like a football, right? And a big beer can. And I realized, oh crap, it's not trash day in Westford and there's no place to put these. So I went on for a mile or so like that, looking, you know, down people's driveways and such, trying to find some place to drop my trash. But I eventually just gave up (laughs) and put them back in the snowbank. And I chose an obvious place at the corner of a neighborhood figuring that somebody's going to pick those up, right? Somebody's going to pick those up. Say la vie. And as I was heading up Powers Road towards my house, I realized that I was going to be short on my planned time, so I rerouted. I took a turn through the Neshoba Mountain Ski Area, which is 
eh, probably exactly a mile from my house. It's a ski ski hill. I mean, you might call it a mountain, but we'd call it a hill. And that was packed too, full of cars, right? So I guess the virus is afraid of heights. I stopped at the Kitty Slope to see if I could find my running buddy, Bob, who's a ski instructor there, and say hi, but I didn't. So I kept going, starting to get a little leg tired now, pretty far in, you know, getting close to three hours in, out through the back to the tubing hill. So they have a hill where you can rent tubes and slide down the hill on a tube. It was a perfect day for tubing, too. Plenty of snow, cold enough to keep the snow nice and fast. You know, when the snow gets wet, it gets sticky, but when it's nice and nice and hard and cold, it goes nice and fast. So, of course, the tubing hill was packed as well. A lot of people there. And as I churned through, you know, watching the kids rocket down the slope, I thought about how we used to do this when I was a kid. You know, we'd grab something totally dangerous, like a cafeteria tray or a trash can lid or the hood of a VW, and we would slide down the hill on them and break our necks sometimes. It was fun. So even our official sledding implements were super dangerous, right? We had a six-person toboggan, a real wooden toboggan. And there was no controlling or turning these things. You just point them down the hill, and you go until you crash into something. And I can remember falling off that toboggan mid-run and getting my foot caught in the rope <laughs> and being dragged down the hill at high velocity on my face until they crash into a bush. So anyhow, we ha- we also had these things called flying saucers that were like concave plastic discs that you sat in, and they had zero steering or padding or anything. You just went <laughs> until you wrecked. But the pros, the pros, the pros had sleds, wooden sleds with uh, steel runners on them, and they were called flexible flyers. Those were the good ones. And you sand it down and wax the steel runners, and then you hauled ass down the hill face first on the sled, and you could steer them a little bit. And at high enough velocity, you could sort of Tokyo drift around the corners. That was fun. Anyhow, that was what I was reminiscing about as I was wrapping up my 18.6 miles. I had not planned to run a 30K. I was just running by time. It was serendipity. Felt pretty good. Didn't eat the whole sandwich. Wasn't sore on Sunday. Ran an hour with my buddies on Sunday, as a matter of fact. Felt great. Good weekend effort. So, you know, with work being crazy, I'll tell you another story. With work being crazy and time-consuming, it reminds me of this other story for some reason. And this one is not a running story. This is a scuba story. Anybody know what scuba stands for? It stands for Self-Contained Underwater Breathing Apparatus. Yes, it does. So in my 20s, I used to work in Woburn, Massachusetts, pronounced in the vernacular Woburn. So I used to work there, and we used to drive out to Gloucester, which is uh, spelled Glowchester. We used to drive out there and go diving for lobsters uh, off of Halibut Point State Park, me and my buddy. And I had a bunch of sort of hand-me-down scuba stuff. You know, you know me, right? But we never went deep. You know, we never went more, took more than 180 tank with us. So we really couldn't get in too much trouble. So I remember one afternoon, my buddy Keith and I, we drove out there. 
And we had to hike a bit out through the state park to get to the shore. And it's a good place to lobster dive because the shore is really rocky. And it drops off pretty quickly down to about 30, 40 feet. And by rocky, I mean big chunks of granite, like refrigerator-sized chunks of granite. And to get to the water, you had to climb down these rocks and then jump in, right? So if any of you know anything about scuba, about scuba diving, you know there's a bunch of equipment involved. You have the tank with the air in it, right? Compressed air. You have a hose that comes off the tank and connects to the thing that you put in your mouth called the regulator. And the regulator allows you to breathe off the air in that tank, right? And then you have your mask, your scuba mask, and with your snorkel attached to it. The water in the Atlantic off of Gloucester is pretty cold. Even in the summer, it's like 60s. You have a wetsuit to stay warm. And you wear fins so you can propel yourself. All good, right? All good so far? But the part that non-scuba folks don't get is that you need to regulate your buoyancy. So any of you triathletes know that if you have a wetsuit on, you float. With And the whole point of scuba is the underwater stuff, you need some way to overcome that floating of the wetsuit. And the way you do this is you strap a bunch of medieval-looking lead weights to a belt around your waist, and the lead makes you sink, which creates the opposite problem because you don't want to get stuck on the bottom. <laughs> so what you want is you want to find that perfect buoyancy where you neither float nor sink. And this is where you have this last piece of equipment, critical equipment, called the buoyancy compensator. And this is like an inflatable life vest that you wear. So the way it works is you inflate your buoyancy compensator, you jump in, you snorkel out to where you want to dive because you want to save your air, right? You snorkel to save the air for the dive. And then you put your regulator in, you start deflating your buoyancy compensator until you start to sink. Easy peasy. And if you want to come up, you put more air into the buoyancy compensator and you come up. I remember on this day, the weather was not great and the surf was pretty high, pounding in on those rocks. So it makes it a bit tricky to get into the water. You have to get in, put your head down, use the fins and power out through the surf, which is what I started to do. And Keith was on the rocks behind me. And it did not take long for me to realize that I had forgotten to inflate my buoyancy compensator. So instead of snorkeling out through the surf, I was snorkeling straight to the bottom with 35 pounds of lead. Now, lucky for me, and I suppose for you, I'm a pretty strong swimmer. Because I did panic. <laughs> Nothing like inhaling that first big gulp of seawater to put some adrenaline in your system. Now, the smart thing to do in these situations is to drop your weight belt. It's got a quick release on it and... Once you drop your weight belt, you float like a cork, and then you put your regulator in your mouth so you don't drown. I didn't do that. <laughs> I treaded water with 35 pounds of lead in the washing machine surf until I could get some air into my BC, and the surf tore my mask off me, and I caught glimpses of Keith looking distraught, trying to decide whether or not he should come in after me. And not to spoil the story, but... 
I lived. And we retrieved my mask and we went back to see if we could catch some dinner. But that is how I felt at work this week. Like I was treading water in the heavy surf with 35 pounds of lead. But you know, I'm older now, right? (laughs) I don't panic as much. I've traded uh, stoicism or stoicism, depending on how you want to pronounce it, for panic. So here's a tip for you. Good tip. You can download a translation of Marcus Aurelius's diary for free. And basically it's his morning journal that he wrote. Uh, He was the last of the good emperors. He was a stoic. And uh, yes, his son was Commodus, who, yes, liked to pretend to be a gladiator. But no, Russell Crowe did not kill him. His wrestling partner, Narcissus, killed him. So, and finally, to take you out, I heard another great piece of advice this week from Olympic runner Alexi Pappas. It's called The Rule of Thirds. And it says that if you look at any part of your life, whether it's your work, your workouts, your relationships, a third of the time, they're going to be good. They're going to be great. Another third of the time, they're going to be okay. And the final third of the time, they're going to be crappy. The key is to realize this when you're in them. To realize that when you're in the crappy spots, that's that's it, right? You're in a crappy spot. So for those of you who like math, this would be like a normal distribution, right? So my friends, that's my race report for this week. What shall we call it? The Lost Pirate 30K? The Tired Turkey 30K? The Old Man 30K? Well, it's your choice. I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry.